Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Numbers chapter 28. Uh, now, Numbers chapter 28 and 29, they really go together. Um, and uh, for the sake of time, though, I'm going to break this up into a two-part study. So we're just going to look at the first half, and then next week we'll pick up the second half. Um, this chapter is, uh, you know, again, I don't normally give titles to messages, but what really jumped out to me as I was preparing this message and studying this is, this is God's... Uh, his preparation for the people, for the children of Israel to enter the promised land. And so this is part one of that study. And so in Numbers chapter 28, verse 1, if you'll join me, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my offerings, made by fire as a sweet aroma to me, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. Now, what's interesting as we go through this chapter in the next chapter, we've read this before in Exodus, in the book of Exodus. We've read this before in the book of Leviticus as well. This is not generally new stuff. Now, there's some new details that are brought out in this, but we've read this before. The children of Israel have heard this before. So the question that I had when I started digging in is, why repeat it? Why, why now? Why is it necessary? And you might say, well, duh, it's a new generation. These are, these are the, the generation, the, the, the older generation that disbelieved in God's ability to bring them into the promised land. They all passed away. They've died now. This is the new generation that's their children that are going to inherit the promised land. And so it would kind of be an obvious thing, right? It's a no-brainer. Well, they needed to hear. They needed to understand. But I think it's more than that, actually. I think it's a requirement, again, not in the sense of an obligation, but in the sense of a need for the children of Israel, for this new generation entering the promised land. It's not just that they need to hear it, but they need to understand because life is going to be completely different for them from how it was in the wilderness. You know, God led them in the wilderness by day and by night. They just relied on him for their provisions. Now they're entering into the land of plenty. Now they're entering into the land where there's actually enemies all around them, the, the Canaanites. And so life is going to be completely different for them. They're going to be uh, uh, facing new obstacles that they didn't face before in the wilderness in this generation, um, they're going to be meeting resistance for the first time. Well, not really for the first time, because there was a battle in Kadesh, and uh, there's, been some, there's been some battles that we read about up until now. But by and large, now they're entering into land that they have to take from the Canaanites. So they're going to be meeting resistance. And so as a result of all those things, they are going to need to be in a close, frequent communication and communion with the Lord. They need to rely on him moment by moment, day by day. And so that's why I think these offerings are being mentioned again for this new generation entering the promised land. So if you look at verse 2, what's interesting in there is the, the pronouns, the personal pronouns, my uh, my and me, look at this, my offering, my food for my offerings made by fire as a sweet aroma to me, you should be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. I don't know if you pick up on that, but there's some ownership going on here, right? 
God's people, his offering. He's spelling out to them that he redeemed them from Egypt. Their lives belong to him. And he wants them to focus on worshiping the one true God because when they go into the promised land, the Canaanites worshiped a pantheon of gods. They had all kinds of gods that they worshiped. And so God is trying to get their focus on worshiping the one true God as they enter the promised land. You know what's interesting? In Amos chapter 5, verse 25 and 26, it says, and this is the Lord speaking through Amos to the children of Israel. It says, did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? The answer is no. Verse 26, it's inferred anyways. You also carried Sikuth, your king, and Chion, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Now we know that there was a, a mixed multitude that went with the children of Israel out of Egypt. But when we're reading this, it almost seems like even the children of Israel were kind of, they were kind of mixing their worship between Jehovah and also these false gods of Egypt. So the Lord here in verse 2, my offering, my food, my offerings, you're going to offer them to me at their appointed time. He doesn't want them to worship anymore with a divided heart. God doesn't want you and I to worship with a divided heart either. For the children of Israel, this is an interesting psalm, Psalm 105, verse 44 and 45. It says, he gave them the lands of the Gentiles and they inherited the labors of the nations that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise the Lord. God gave them the promised land, but there's a responsibility with that promised land. That responsibility is, hey, you're, you're to worship me. I've redeemed you. I've called you out of Egypt. You're to observe my statutes and keep my laws. You know, it's no different for you and I. The Lord God's redeemed you and I. In Titus 2.14, Paul says that he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Now, we've been blessed with salvation. We've been blessed with having our sins forgiven. We've been blessed with being cleansed from all unrighteousness and given a hope for eternity. But there's a responsibility that goes along with it. And the responsibility is to worship God and to live our lives for him, to be zealous for good works. Now, there's a repetitive phrase that we're going to be coming across as we go through these next two chapters. And it says this, it's sweet aroma to the Lord. Sweet aroma. In other words, a pleasant smell to, the, to our God, to the Lord God. In these two chapters, God's revealing to them how he is to be worshipped and what pleases him. And as you see, as you will see as we go through this, there's some very precise instructions. You know, someone once said, how you worship ends up determining who you're worshipping. How you worship determines uh, ends up determining who you are worshiping. If you get to design the way you worship God, you will eventually worship a God of your own design. And that's so true. Listen, the children of Israel have already been exposed to the worship of Baal. We talked about the Baal of PR. We talked about a couple chapters ago. That basically was sexual immorality disguised as worship. For you and I, God has prescribed to you and I how he is to be worshiped also. 
And if we worship according to his design, how he wants us to worship him, then we'll be worshiping him. Otherwise, if we're, you know, we kind of pick and choose how we're going to worship God and we're basically worshiping ourselves. We're designing how we're going to worship God. I don't know if you've heard this phrase. I've heard it in people before. You know, my God doesn't do this. My God doesn't do that. Or the God I worship does this. You know, people say that sometimes based on whatever they, whatever they believe or whatever. But the thing, the thing is, when people say, my God does, you know, it's almost like, well, maybe you're worshiping yourself because you wouldn't do that, right? So it's kind of, uh, it's kind of uh, self-serving, I think, in, in a lot of ways when people say that. Well, let's continue on here, verse 3. And you shall say to them, this is the offering made by fire, uh, which you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs in their first year without blemish, day by day, as a regular burnt offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer in the evening, and one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil. It is a regular burnt offering which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And its drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hen for each lamb in a holy place. You shall pour out the drink, uh, the drink to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as the morning grain offering and its drink offering. You shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord." So here's the first instruction for them. Each day they're to offer two male lambs, the Bible says here, as a regular burnt offering. There in verse uh, 3. That word regular in the King James Version is continual. And so what he's saying is you're, this is an ongoing thing that you're to be doing every day, day in and day out. And so for the children of Israel, this is a daily reminder of the need for an atoning sacrifice constantly. They constantly needed to depend on God's mercy each and every day. And so one lamb was to be offered in the morning. I think of Psalm 119 verse 147. It says this, I rise up before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. Psalm 5, verse 3, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. And so as the children of Israel are worshiping by offering this lamb in the morning, they're basically anticipating the day ahead of them. They're seeking the Lord. They're crying out for help. They're hoping in His Word. It's all anticipatory of what's going to take place. I'm going to look, I'm looking up. I'm, I'm setting my focus on you. That was what the children of Israel were to do. They were to anticipate the day. You know, there's an interesting prophecy in Isaiah chapter 50. It's a, it's a messianic chapter deals with the prophecy of the coming Messiah and the prophet Isaiah wrote hey here's a way that you're going to be able to recognize who the Messiah is when he comes Isaiah 50 verse 4 the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary he awakens me morning by morning he awakens my ear to hear as the learned and if you continue on in that chapter it's all about the Messiah and so what Isaiah is saying, hey, the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to be a guy that gets up early in the morning seeking his father's will. And what do we find 
in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Man, there he is. There's the Messiah. He's the man that's seeking God early in the morning for the day. You think about that. Well, man, this is the Son of God. This is the Son of Man. This is the Messiah. Now, if he felt that it was important as a man every morning to seek the Lord, rising up early, uh, you know, how much more important is it for you and I? And so one lamb was to be offered in the morning. The other lamb was to be offered in the evening. What a, what a fitting time at the end of each day to sacrifice to the Lord. You think about it. They're starting the day and ending the day remembering his mercy thanking him, reflecting on the day. Uh, maybe they were seeking him regarding something that occurred during the day. It's the same for you and I. We're to seek the Lord daily in the morning. Solomon wrote this, Proverbs 16, verse 3, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Later on in verse 9 of chapter 16, he wrote, a man's heart plans his way but the Lord directs his steps. Again, that's anticipating the day. You know, focusing on him in the morning, focusing on him and, and then committing the day to him and seeking his direction for the day. And then in the evening, or maybe before you go to sleep at night, seeking the Lord once more. You know, what's also interesting the children of Israel had these commands in the morning and in the evening they were to do these offerings. Well, as a habit, as a, as a matter of practice, the time of the evening offering for the Jewish people was the ninth hour of the day, which for you and I would be about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 3 p.m. is about the ninth hour. What's fascinating about that is in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, speaking about Christ's crucifixion, it says, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, uh, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the ninth hour, the time when the Jewish people were to go to pray to seek the Lord. In John's gospel, chapter 19, verse 30, it says, so when, he, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. This is the same time that the children of Israel were going to be seeking the Lord, praying, offering that evening sacrifice when Jesus himself offered himself and died at the ninth hour for our sins. And so for you and I, thinking about that, you know, just thanking the Lord in the evening for his salvation, the fact that he was forsaken so that we wouldn't have to be forsaken, that he took our sin upon himself and died in our place. Man, that's something to be thankful every day, every moment. And then thanking him for the events of the day, you know, the things that took place during the day. It's so important to thank the Lord. You know, if you are going through a tough time and you're discouraged or you're bummed out, I want to encourage you to try it. In the evening, thank the Lord for his blessings and enumerate them. You know what that means? That means to count them up, tally them out, express them. I don't know if you remember the old song. There's some old songs, and, you know, I, I remember them as a kid. Uh, and, you know, they seem kind of pithy and sort of, but, man, I, now I think back on them, I go, man, they're really teaching some heavy stuff. Let me read a couple verses to you. You probably know this song. 
When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. I can think of the, the melody and everything. It's kind of cheesy, but you know what? It is so true. It is so true. I don't know how many of you know, my initials are DR, so I'm a doctor, okay? I am a doctor. So here's my prescription. If you're bummed out today, Sing two verses and call me in the morning. It'll, it'll work, I guarantee it. But seriously, the end of your day, man, just reflect on how God's blessed you. It's so good to have a thankful heart. And then also, if you're like me, at the end of the day, asking forgiveness for sin. <laughs> Lord, I am so sorry I blew. I'm so sorry I said this to my wife or I did this or I did that. Please forgive me. Maybe uh, you guys don't have to do it, but I do. <laughs> I have to ask for, th for, for forgiveness for the sins that I committed that day. So important to do that in the evening. And then, you know, you and I come across people. God gives us divine appointments all throughout the day. Pray for those at the end of the day that you've crossed paths with. Pray that they would know God's salvation, that they would experience a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. So there's things for you and I. It's applicable to you and I as well. Now, these two lambs were daily offered as a burnt offering. Well, what was the burnt offering? The offering, as you recall, because we've studied it before, it was an offering that was completely consumed on the flame of the altar. Nothing was held back for the burnt offering. And so for the children of Israel, they were taught this, and we haven't got to it yet in Deuteronomy, but in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, they were taught, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's really what the burnt offering is symbolizing. The burnt offering was a reminder to the children of Israel that Yahweh, that Jehovah, is a consuming fire, a God who is alone to be worshipped. He's to be worshipped with a singleness of heart, not like a pagan deity that was lord over a local, you know, location. Remember Balak and Balaam? You know, they, Balak would say, well, go to this place. Maybe, maybe your God will, you know, answer you there and curse the children of Israel. He's not, a, he's not a pagan deity. He's the one true God. So we're to worship him with singleness of heart. They were to worship him with every fabric of their being. That's what the burnt offering is, is really symbolizing. The other night, for those of you that are out of state that are watching this, I know there's a few at least that, that are from out of, the, out of state at least. Uh, you know, out here in, the, in Minnesota in the wintertime, you know, summertime, people are always cooking out. My, if you go to our neighborhood, it's like a campground, man. There's little fires in everybody's backyard and, and, uh, and then people are cooking. So you're always smelling good stuff, usually, unless you're smelling something funny that you shouldn't be smelling. But... Um, but, you know, typically, it's like a campground around our neighborhood. And uh, anyways, the other day, but in the wintertime, okay, so in the wintertime, it's very uncommon that people are hanging out by the fire. You know, I mean, that's probably a good time to do it. But a lot of times it's so cold, people are in the house and stuff. Well, the other night, it was late at night, I was outside doing something in my backyard. I think I was going to my garage or something. And I could smell someone barbecuing. At about, I don't know, 10 or 11 at night. I'm like, man, it smells so good. I love the smell of meat roasting on a fire. Do you guys like it? Man, I love it. It's a, it's a, it's a great smell. 
But think about this. The meat might smell good, but can you imagine the bones and the hide and every aspect of the animal burning in a flame? That's not the best smell, <laughs> you know, especially hair and fur. I mean, it just doesn't smell that good. For you and I, that's not a soothing aroma. But to God, it is. Why would it be to God? Well, there's a spiritual reason. Whenever the flesh is burned on the altar, it's pleasing to God. And the flesh, when we're talking about the flesh, I'm not talking about my skin, I'm talking about myself, my sin nature. When that's burned on the altar, when that's sacrificed, when, that, when I die to my flesh, man, that's pleasing to God. It smells good to the Lord. For you and I, Romans 12, 1, Paul wrote this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, I don't know about you, but it may not seem too pleasant to step out in faith and surrender ourselves completely. I mean, that sounds kind of scary. It doesn't, doesn't sound like a good thing to me, man, to completely empty myself. But when our flesh is sacrificed, it does please the Lord. And so we're, as Paul says, we're a living sacrifice. These other sacrifices, they were dead. <laughs> they, were, they were just placed on the altar and sacrificed. You and I, we're living sacrifices. We are able to do it willingly out of love for the Lord. And it's a constant, ongoing thing that we do. Because I know my flesh, every once in a while, I go, man, i got to die to myself. There's the old man again. He's reared his ugly head again, and here he's doing stuff. I need to die to that. And so you and I, we have the opportunity, we have the, we have the privilege of doing it willingly and doing it constantly, day in and day out. And so the burnt offering, there was a couple components to the burnt offering. The burnt offering was accompanied with fine flour as a grain offering, and it was mixed with pressed olive oil. Pressed oil, the Bible says here. Now, in the King James Version, it says flour. But in the New King James Version, which I think they actually get a little bit better translation, they call it fine flour. Why do I say that? Because the Hebrew word is used of a grade of flour ground so fine, it was the best part of the wheat grain, and it was so, it was, it was, it was, there was so much work to preparing this fine flour that it was a luxury item. Usually it was the kind of flour that kings ate. You think about it. You take grain, you put it under some rocks, you know, millstone, and you're not going to get it that. It's going to be pretty coarse when you're grinding it, you know, originally. But this stuff was so fine, it was constantly worked and worked and worked. It wasn't your average ordinary grain. This was, this was like top, I don't know, whatever the top grain is, flour, fine flour, grade A flour. I don't know, they don't grade flour, do they? Never mind. I looked at my wife, she's a, she knows all those things. But anyways, it wasn't your common ordinary grain that you just grind up and, and make bread out of. This was some fine, it was a lot of work put into it. Purified. Purified, thank you. For the children of Israel, think about it. They're to take grain, which God has provided, right? God's blessed them with a the harvest. They're to take the grain from the wheat that God had provided. Then they're to process it with their own human hands, their own, their own machines, or, you know, in this case, stones and stuff, millstones. And then they're to return it back to the Lord God. And it was the best, the finest flour that they could offer, the best that they could offer, fit for a king, because it is for a king. 
Well, that fine flour of the burnt offering was mixed with oil. And that oil, more than likely, in fact, I'm almost 100% positive, was olive oil. And it was oil made by crushing, pressing, or grinding olives. Now think about this. They're in the wilderness at this point. There's not a lot of grain out there in the wilderness, right? They've been being fed the manna in the wilderness. So they don't have grain available. They don't have olive trees available in the wilderness. So uh, this is for the promised land when they get into the land of abundance. In the wilderness, God had provided them, provided them everything they needed. Uh, listen to what Nehemiah says. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 20. It says, you also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. We're talking two to three million people. God provided enough water for all of them so nobody died of thirst. God provided enough food for them every day to sustain them. Their clothes, 40 days, hiking, 40 days, their or 40 years, excuse me, their clothes never wore out. Some of you like to get new clothes, be like, man, that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> you want an excuse to get new clothes, right? Uh, but their clothes never wore out and their feet never swelled. So this food was actually nutritious for their bodies. It, was, it, it sustained them physically. God provided for everything. But now they're entering into the land of plenty. Now, there, now there's going to be a grain in abundance, olive trees in abundance, choices of what they want to eat, choices of what they want to drink. And so what God is saying, hey, I want you to remember that you still have to rely on me. You still have to depend on me and my faithfulness, even in the land of plenty. For you and I, there's no difference for you and I as well. In fact, Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, 11 to look to him for our daily provision. He's taught us to pray saying, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give me the weekly bread. No, 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 give me the daily bread. We're to seek the Lord daily for his provisions. I like what Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9 says. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In the land of plenty, it's pretty easy to rely on ourselves. It's pretty easy to just kind of forget about seeking the Lord daily for his provisions, for trusting, for depending on him. It's easy. It's, 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 hard, it's hard to have that mindset of depending on the Lord. Now, in the wilderness, it, they didn't have a choice. It's just, you want to eat? There's manna. Go ahead. Otherwise, you're not eating, right? But God provided for him. James warned you and I about losing our sense of dependence upon the Lord when he said this in James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Have you ever caught yourself as a believer saying, hey, tomorrow I'll, or I'll meet you somewhere? I always like to use that caveat, Lord willing, because you never know, right? In our generation, talking about today, and in our culture, 
and maybe even in Western civilization, it's even more so than in other places. What do we have? We've got savings accounts. Hopefully some of you have a, a savings account of some sort, but generally speaking, we have savings accounts. We have insurance policies, right? We have unemployment, which is another insurance. We have unemployment insurance. You lose your job, you go apply for unemployment. We have federal assistance. Man, I can't make enough money, so you can apply to the government, and, and they give you money. We have, if nothing else fails, man, I got my credit card, right? Man, I can charge and stuff. We've got all these things in our culture that we can fall back on. How much harder is it for you and I daily to depend on the Lord? Instead of trusting in my bank account or trusting in my credit card or, you know, I've got it covered. If something happens, at least I've got it covered. The Lord wants us to rely on him, to depend on him. And there's a danger, and I think there's a great danger for you and I to lose our sense of dependence on the Lord, even more so than the children of Israel entering into the promised land. I think it's that much more harder for you and I. So I think this is that much more important for you and I to have that daily looking to the Lord. Verse 7 talks about the drink offering. The drink offering was an offering that was just poured out on the altar for the Lord. It wasn't, there was no sips, it was just poured out, completely drained on the altar for the Lord. And in verse 7 it says, In a holy place you shall pour out the drink to the Lord as an offering. That word drink in the King James Version is strong wine. What is strong wine? Well, it's the richest and most generous and best-bodied wine they could get. In other words, it's not Ripple. Any of you guys remember what Ripple is? It's not Boone's Farm, you know? <laughs> I'm dating myself, probably. It's not the cheap stuff. It's the best. It's the best that's poured out to the Lord. For the children of Israel, the picture is obvious. Yahweh, Jehovah, was worthy of the best and costliest sacrifice. And similar to the burnt offering, nothing is held back. Well, the same for you and I. We're to serve God with the best that we have. And I think of the best wine, the best, you know, we, we have, we're going to have communion this morning. And the, the juice, it represents God's blood, or Christ's blood that was shed for our sins. And so this drink offering, it prefigures the blood of Christ. And for you and I as New Testament saints, Paul even said this in Philippians 2, verse 17. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. What was Paul talking about? Paul laid his life on the line for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the ministry to the Gentiles. He didn't hold back anything. He just poured himself out completely for the Lord. And he says, man, I'm happy. I'm joyful to be able to do this. That's what the drink offering symbolized. It's a reminder of our utter dependence on Lord and offering our very best to him, holding nothing back. So now we get to the next offering on the Sabbath. Look at verse 9. And on the Sabbath day, two lambs in their first year without blemish, and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flowers, a grain offering, mixed with oil, with its drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath, besides the regular burnt offering, with its drink offering. So now, if you get this, in, in, in addition, now they're daily offering these morning and evening sacrifices, these burnt offerings. In addition to their daily offerings on the Sabbath, they were to offer, offer twice. They're to double what they were doing. 
And for the children of Israel, the Sabbath, uh, honoring the Sabbath and celebrating it, it was a reminder not only of creation, but of the Creator. Because He created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And so they were to, they were to set aside one day a week to rest and worship the Creator. Now, in some churches, there's kind of a debate over, you know, uh, do New Testament saints, are we, are we obligated to observe the Sabbath? And, and people have different opinions. But I want to read this to you in Exodus 31, verse 16. It says, Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God says, this, this Sabbath that you're going to be on, it's, it's a sign between me and the children of Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So this Sabbath observance was specifically for the children of Israel in its literal observation. Because the reason why I say that is in Colossians, in the New Testament, Colossians 2, 16 through 17, Paul says, Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. And so my take on this is that Honoring the Sabbath, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But for you and I, it, it, it was all the point to Jesus Christ. It was all, it, it's just it pre-shadowing what he did. What, 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 is it, what aspect of Christ is it shadowing or, or, or picturing? What the Sabbath rest is picturing is what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and I. The Sabbath rest is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. He finished the work of salvation. And now he's sitting down on the throne in heaven. So you and I as New Testament believers, this is what I believe, we're to cease from working and striving to earn our salvation or a better standing with God through works. That's what, that's what it means for you and I. But from a practical standpoint, life is more than work. Life is more than work, right? Sometimes people, you know, they just, they just, if you're a workaholic or maybe you're fearful of not having enough finances, you, you know, you, it's like, I, I don't know if I can depend on the Lord, so I'm going to work as much as I can. And they work 24 7, seven days a week, you know, or, you know as much as they can. And they, they never take time off. And from a t practical standpoint, that's not good. Life is more than work. However, there's a common mistake that people make. And as I say, right, life is more than work. So what do we do? We recreate. We, have, we go on vacations. Nothing wrong with going on vacations, by the way. But the common problem in our culture, in our society, is people go from, you know, maybe they don't work every single day, but now they, they take the weekends off to go to their cabin, or they do this, or they do that. And instead of spending one day worshiping the Lord, they're just out having fun. And that's a cultural thing, I think, that we deal with in our culture. So what do you do? The Sabbath or the Lord's Day? That's another, that's another uh, 
thing that people say, do we honor the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, or do we honor the Sabbath, which is Saturday? Um, I think for the you and I as believers, it's appropriate to celebrate, to worship the Lord on Sunday. It's not a legalistic thing, but I think it's appropriate for the New Testament believer because Jesus rose on the first day of the week, which the first day of the week is Sunday. Um, and the New Testament church historically met on the first day of the week. So I think it's appropriate for Sundays. And look what we're doing right this morning, right? We've come together to take time out of our weekend. Some of you don't work, you know, Monday through Friday. Some of you do work weekends, but you're taking time off to be here this morning to worship the Lord. And I think it's the right thing to do. Back in later on, the children of Israel, they kind of started drifting away from observing the Sabbath. In fact, in Nehemiah's time, you know, they, they, they had just come back from captivity. They had just finished building the wall. Uh, they were starting to just worship the Lord and stuff. And, and Nehemiah went back to, to uh, Persia to the king that he was, he was the, uh, the wine taster for the king or the butler or whatever. And he went back and worshiped, or was back with the king. Then he came back. And when he came back, here the children of Israel, they were buying and selling on the Sabbath. They were, they were just, it was like a common ordinary day for them. And so it was an issue. Isaiah 58 says this, Isaiah 58, verse 13 and 14. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor seeking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. God says, if, you, if you'll just take that Sabbath and worship me, don't do your own thing, but worship me, man, I'm going to bless you. And we get to the New Testament. You know, the, the Pharisees, they were always trying to trap Jesus in whatever way, whatever he, if he said something, they were trying to entrap him so they could find a reason to accuse him. And uh, they, according to their laws, they would catch the disciples violating what they, you know, their opinions or their, what they believed about the Sabbath. And Jesus said, one time they confronted him and Jesus said this to them in Mark chapter 2, Verses 27 and 28 says, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So I think for you and I as believers, we're not to get legalistic about it like the Pharisees, because there are people that get very legalistic about, you know, you can't do anything on the Lord's Day or on the Sabbath, whatever. Um, we're not to get legalistic about it, but I do have to say this. There's nothing wrong with going on vacations. There's nothing, I do it. There's nothing wrong with taking a Sunday off and I have, you know, you're, you're, out, you're enjoying whatever you're doing. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want to ask you this rhetorically, and I want you to just think about it. Is the Son of Man the Lord of your Sabbath? Is he the Lord of your Sabbath? I think that's why the writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I'm blessed by those of you that are here. I'm blessed by those of you that join us online on Sundays. It's not a legalistic thing, but I think it's an important thing. And I think especially in light of the day approaching, 
it's so much more important to be encouraging one another and exhorting one another, stirring one another up for love and good deeds. Man, what's the Lord done in your life? How's God speaking to you? Hey, is there anything I can pray for you? That doesn't take place when you're at home necessarily, but it takes place when you're in fellowship with one another. So good and so important as we see the day approaching. I don't know about you, but man, I, I think the day is approaching soon. So that's, it's that much more important. So we go from the Sabbath offerings to now the monthly offerings. Verse 11. At the beginnings of your months, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour is a grain offering mixed with oil for each bull. Two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour is a grain offering mixed with oil for the one ram. And one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for each lamb, as a burnt offering for sweet, uh, of sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Their drink offering shall be half a hen of wine for a bull, one-third of a hen for a ram, and one-fourth of a hen for a lamb. This is the burnt offering for each month throughout the months of the year. Also one kid of the goats as a sin offering to the Lord shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. It's getting more expensive. <laughs> it's getting more costly, these sacrifices. Think about it. Daily, they're sacrificing a lamb, morning and evenings. On Sabbath, they're doubling it. And we get to once a month, now they're offering a bull. I mean, it's getting more and more. Why is that taking place? Well, for the children of Israel, I think it was, you know, I, I lose track of days. I, I have my little, you know, my, my cell phone or something. I can look at my calendar, figure out what day it is, what month it is. Um, but I think for the children of Israel, having, you know, they were on a lunar calendar, you know, so whenever the month, they kept track of their months based on the, the movement of the moon. And so it was for them to keep track of seasons. And so for them, it reminded them of God's provision and faithfulness throughout the seasons of life. What's interesting, too, is it's accompanied with a sin offering. You might say, well, you know, these celebrations, these like the monthly, this was a time of joy, thanking God for his provisions and for his blessings. But now they're also offering a sin offering. But what I like about this, this offering, this monthly offering, it says at the beginnings of your month. So it's like the first day of the month, first day of the new moon or whatever, you know. The first day of the month, then you offer the sin offering. What I think that speaks to me is God's mercy. You know, he's giving them a fresh start. Okay, you've got a fresh month. You can start off clean, clean slate this month again. I think that's a beautiful picture. For you and I, this is also a reminder of God's provisions and faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 21 20 through 23 says it well. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Though the, uh, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so the, this, this monthly offerings, I think it's just a picture. You know, as we go through the changing seasons, man, we see God's faithfulness. We see God's faithfulness. You know, winter is approaching us here in Minnesota. And if you're a snowmobiler, I know there's a few snowmobilers, at least a couple of them around here. Or, uh, or if you just like colder weather, my wife actually doesn't like the heat and humidity. She likes winter. She's weird. Uh, but, you know, she... <laughs> no. 
you know, you know, people, they might like the winter, but other people are like, man, I can't wait till summer. I, I just, I'm not enjoying this Minnesota winter and stuff. You know, the beautiful thing is winter comes and you know God's faithful. There's going to be a spring. There's going to be a summer. If you're in the heat of summer and you can't stand the summer or you just bought a new snowmobile and you can't wait for the, you know, just trust, just wait. God's faithful. There's going to be cold, especially if you're here in Minnesota and snow. Uh, and so God's faithful. So this is just a reminder of his faithfulness through the changing seasons of life. It's a reminder of God's mercies in the midst of change. And I tell you what, hasn't this year been a year of change? This year has been one of the, one of the most difficult years for so many people, for so, for so many, it's, it's just been a difficult, I know there are some people that have lost loved ones this year. Some people have gone through some major life changes this year. But I want to tell you, man, God is faithful. And, you know, this difficult time that we're going through, you know, some people say, you know, we're never going back to the way things were before. I don't know. I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm not going to even say one thing or the other about that. But I will say this. I've seen God's faithfulness throughout this. And I, I've seen his mercy. And I've just seen he cares for his people. He cares for you. Even if you're going through a difficult time, I want you to trust him. He's faithful. So this is a beautiful picture of that. Well, now we get to verse 16, and we're talking about the Passover, offerings at Passover. Verse 16, on the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. And on the 15th day of this month is the feast unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. And you shall present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure they are without blemish. Their grain offering shall be of fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah you shall offer for a bull, and two-tenths for a ram. You shall offer one-tenth of an ephah for each of the seven lambs, also one goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall offer these besides the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a regular burnt offering. In this manner you shall offer the food of the offering made by fire, for uh, made by fire daily for seven days as a sweet aroma to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. On the seventh day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. So the Passover of the Lord. And that's exactly what it was. It was commemorating the literal passing over of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Moses was instructed to tell the children of Israel to take the blood of a lamb and paint it on the doorposts and the lintel of the house. And that night, the angel of the Lord passed over the house. If he saw the blood shed applied to the door, he would pass over and that the people inside that home, the firstborn inside that home would be spared. That's what this is commemorating, literally. They were spared from death by the blood of a substitutional sacrifice. And that's what the Passover, a, a very holy day for the children of Israel. And, but then you start reading this, and it talks about the Passover, but now it's kind of shifting, not shifting gears, but now it's talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread that occurred after the Passover. That's the majority of what we just read here. It deals more with the Feast of Unleavened Bread than the Passover itself. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it started right after the Passover, and it commemorated how they left Egypt in haste after the Passover. 
when they left, they were to they they were to take their have their clothes on their backs. They were to have their dough in their bowls. They didn't have time to let it rise, and they were just as soon as the Passover was done, they were to leave Egypt. There was no waiting; just leave in haste. And so this feast of unleavened bread commemorated how they left in haste. Now, leaven, they were to take, use, as part of this feast we just read, they were to eat unleavened bread, so no yeast in their bread. And so for the Jewish people, what they were to do prior to this, they were to go and they were to sweep clean their tents, their homes, their dwelling places of any kind of yeast, because yeast in the Bible is a picture of sin. And God called them, for the children of Israel, God called them to walk Unleavened. That's what it was. That's what he's trying to get across. You're to walk unleavened. After I've delivered you from Egypt, now you're to walk without that sin. Symbolically, they're being called to a pure walk with the Lord. Why would that be important? Because of Exodus chapter 13, verse 5. The Lord told them, and this is when God gave them the first commandments concerning the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He says, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, then you shall keep this service in this month. So why was it important for the children of Israel going into the Promised Land to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Because they're going to be surrounded by nations that are pagan idolaters. Nations that are worshiping themselves. Nations that are, are doing their, their, the most abominable things. They're going to be exposed to all of this around them. And it's going to be a temptation for the children of Israel to fall into this idolatry. And yet God is calling them to a pure walk with him in an impure land. For you and I, I hope the application's obvious, he's doing the same for you and I. In fact, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 through 8. He says, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You and I, we're called to walk in purity. I'll be honest with you. It's difficult in our culture. It's difficult in our generation, but I got news for you. It's not impossible. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible when you and I surrender our lives to the Lord as a living sacrifice and we, we submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's where it's possible. I want to close with this, uh, and we'll pick up the rest of this next week. And you, the worship team, maybe you can go ahead and come on up. I want to quote this, math, this uh, quote from Matthew Henry. It says this, It's not enough that we purge out the leavened bread of malice and wickedness, but we must offer the bread of our God, even the sacrifice of praise, continually and continue herein until the end. It's not just a matter of, hey, I've got to walk in pure, I can't sin, I can't sin, but we're also to live our lives worshiping the Lord, which is what we're doing this morning, which is what we will be doing shortly here, is just praising the Lord, offering a sacrifice of praise to Him for what He's done for us. And so if I have you guys stand up here in the, in the sanctuary, I'd like to close with prayer again. We'll pick up part two of this next week. This morning we have communion. 
And so I invite you, once the worship team starts playing worship, you can come on up and if you want to, you know, space yourselves, that's probably the best thing to do. Come on up and grab communion elements and go back to your seat and then we will all partake together here in the sanctuary. But let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, you delivered the children of Israel. Lord, you blessed them, you provided them, and you brought them into a land of abundance. But Lord, you wanted them to continually remember to depend on you, to seek you daily, to keep in close communion with you. And Lord, that's no different for us. You've delivered us from sin, Lord, from our Egypt. You've delivered us. Lord, you've, you've redeemed us. Lord, you've purchased us with your blood. Lord, we're yours. And this morning, Lord, as we are literally, and I think in America especially, Lord, we are in a land of abundance. We're in a land of plenty. Lord, we have so many choices available. Lord, we have so many freedoms around us, Lord God, that we can do as we please. But Lord, your word this morning is just reminding us that we need that daily dependence upon you. We need that daily interaction with you. We need to remember uh, your, your atoning sacrifice for our sins on a constant basis. Lord, to always be coming before you in prayer and being thankful for the blessings you've given us, Lord. And Lord, to, for us to walk as in purity in a, in, a, in a very impure world around us. And so, Lord, I pray that you might fill us with your spirit that we might walk that life of purity, Lord, that you've called us to, to be holy as you are holy, set apart for you. And Lord, this morning as we reflect on communion, Lord, we thank you that we can partake and remember your sacrifice, Lord, because all of this, all that we've talked about, all these, these offerings, they all point to you. They all are fulfilled in you, who paid the ultimate price for our sin who died in our place. And Lord, now we can partake, we, we, we partake in communion with you, Lord God, as we partake of these elements. We thank you for blessing us with salvation, for blessing us, Lord, desiring to have a relationship with us. And Lord, we desire that relationship with you this morning. So we thank you, we bless you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.